0: I know Gene Hackman is 92. That's a good one. I learned that from Frank Morano. No, who's 82 years old? Your friend, Dick Cheney. Oh, yeah, great friend of mine. (laughs) You guys are tight. Great friend, yeah, so Uh, tight. Our next guest knows him very, very well. In fact, he was uh, on that ticket to be VP in that 2000 election against George Bush. Spent about 25 years as a senator from the great state of Connecticut and for what it's worth, is just one of my favorite people in the history of politics, and that is the great Joe Lieberman, Joe Sid Rosenberg, Andrew Giuliani sitting in today. It's his birthday. Welcome back. How are you, pal?
1: Uh, I'm great. Thanks, thanks for your kind words. Good morning, Sid. Good morning, Andrew. And happy birthday, Dick Cheney. <laughs> Did you say it's FDR's birthday, too?
0: It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm not that's a big the fan combo, of combo, right? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> a big a combo. fan of yeah, that's, that's quite the combo. <laughs> that's that's yeah. exactly what you should say. It's a yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I wanted to bring you on on Friday talking about FDR because yeah. Friday, yeah. it was the 78-year anniversary of liberating Auschwitz, and FDR said I right. by as Jews were being murdered in Germany, did nothing about it for the longest time. But uh, here we are 78 years later, Joe, and you know what's going on here in New York there's attacks on Jews almost every day. I speak to the mayor, Eric Adams. I speak to Dolph Hykend. And no one seems to have any real answers. The majority of the attacks are from African-American kids, to be honest. That's like 98%. But either way, the attacks on the Jews are getting worse. Those two words, never forget. Well, a lot of people seem to have forgotten. What are your thoughts on what's going on in America today?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, this is a time... When anti-Semitism and a lot of other uh, bigotries are rising again, the Asians are getting uh, beaten up a a lot uh, also. And so uh, amazing and really jolting for me to think about because, and I know you'll think when I say this, it's naive or surprising. I I just have uh, confronted little or no anti-Semitism, not only in my life, but in my political career in Connecticut, even nationally, when I ran uh, for vice president, I thought it was just a wonderful thing to say about America. Now, of course, I I, I never uh, uh, could conclude that there were no anti-Semites in America, because uh, bigots are always out there. But they were certainly in a minority, and the prevailing ethic was uh, that it was unacceptable to be overtly and certainly violently— anti-semitic but that's changed and and it's it's uh really alarming and so one of the causes of it uh, it would take a long time but i do think that the internet in some way has contributed to this by providing a sort of private access for haters uh to to communicate with each other get fired up and then uh go out and uh uh, commit acts of well, in- well, hold on so just, L- i mean I mean, I mean
0: I mean I mean this with no disrespect uh, Senator Liebman but again no, the, said, okay. no, the overwhelming amount of attacks in new york are, are are young black kids, they're not on the internet okay they they they're at home, they're in yeah. school, there's a lack of education, they're not skinheads, they're not part of some white supremacist yeah. group yeah. on the internet. They roam the streets looking for reason to beat up Jews. so while I agree that the internet can be a very dangerous place in this instance, yeah. it ain't the case.
1: So I don't know how to, I think I continue to feel, I hear you and I respect you, I love you, but uh, I think the internet is part of changing what's acceptable to say. But leaders matter a lot. So you've got somebody like Kanye West uh, saying the anti-Semitic stuff he does. It mm-hmm. does uh, legitimize uh, that kind of hatred. Somebody uh, Jewish I know who lives in the Bronx that he was on his way to, told me about a month ago on his way to synagogue wearing a, a yarmulke, a skull a skullcap, mm-hmm. and, and a, a, a group of young kids went by, him, African-American kids, and one of them just said, not doing anything to him, not screaming, just said to him, Kanye is right. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. you know, what's that about? Now, what does that lead to? And look, the, the answer to this is that we... And not just Jews. Jews are not going to take it anymore. But people who are not Jewish have to stand with the Jewish community and say, this is unacceptable, and anybody who does it is going to be, uh, certainly anybody who takes a violent act against uh, Jews, just because they're Jews, are uh, are going to be subject to severe penalties under law. I mean, I just say, finally, if you told me that uh, as has happened a few years ago, that there be a synagogue in Pittsburgh and one in California, and then and another situation around a. Crazy. supermarket in Jersey where somebody walked in with a gun and started to shoot people just because they were Jews. Oh, crazy. Wow, that's yeah. a nightmare. And we can't let it grow. That's the point. We got to stop it. That's, yeah. that's the way to remember the Holocaust as as everybody did last Friday. Stop it
0: right in its tracks. You're absolutely right. Well, you know, Senator Lehman, one of the things you talked about last week was the impending debt ceiling. And there's a meeting, I think, on Wednesday between Kevin McCarthy, the newly elected Speaker of the House, and Joe Biden about this and tying this debt ceiling specifically uh, to all the spending that we've seen, uh, especially the increases out of Washington over the last couple of years. Uh, What is the path to avoiding financial doom here in the United States, not just over the next couple of months, uh, but also over the coming years?
1: Yeah, thanks for the question, Andrew. Good question. Really important and uh, an immediate question. So, you know, that debt ceiling sounds like something that uh, bankers talk about. But believe me, if if we don't extend the debt ceiling, it's going to affect everybody in this country. Unemployment will go up. Uh, The the, the economy will go into a recession. Uh, It'll really be havoc. We can't let it happen. And uh, the way to avoid it uh, in the midst of probably the most partisan time in uh, the modern history of our country, maybe ever, is for people to start talking to each other. So I'm really glad that President Biden and Speaker McCarthy are going to meet. And now the question is whether they're going to be reasonable with, with each other. I understand why Joe Biden is saying that uh, um, he's not not going to negotiate that he just have to extend the debt ceiling and don't deal with anything else. But that's not realistic because, and I, many times wow. during uh, my 25 years in the Senate. Of course, people use the debt ceiling as a reason to try to uh, get the government to do things they would not otherwise do if they didn't have the pressure of the debt ceiling uh, being uh, broken. Mm -hmm. And uh, look, look, our spending in this country is way out of control. The impact on our we don't see it today. It seems almost like free money, but it is isn't. impact on our kids and our, our grandkids and their tax rates. And our our economy is going to be havoc. So I I hope, I I don't think you can uh, rewrite the budget as part of the debt ceiling, but I hope that a process comes out of it where they force uh, each other to sit in a room together, both parties, both houses and the white house and come up with a plan for reducing the annual deficit. And it won't happen in a year, but you gotta, um, you gotta knock it out. And the fear of uh, the debt ceiling and uh, not being extended may be enough to do that. So they got to talk, they got to respect each other, and they got to do something we haven't seen happen enough in our in our government lately. They got to put the country first and not their uh, political advantage. One
0: more for you, Senator Joe Lieberman. Here on this uh, special birthday celebratory Monday show, I'm reminded. Uh, Frank Marano reminds me about this that. You're involved in this no-labels movement, and I know you guys are working to qualify a third-party candidate for 2024 in what looks like we may get Biden and Trump again, whoever it may be, Biden, DeSantis, Trump, I don't know. The question is, though, is there a third-party candidate that you really believe Mr. Lieberman really has a chance to win?
1: Well, look, great question, Sid. Uh, First off, uh, American history says uh, that it's really hard to be elected as a third-party candidate. In a way, uh, you could say that the last successful third-party candidate was Abraham Lincoln in 1860. That's a long uh, time ago. But there's a lot of— oh, you,
0: you could uh, actually say and, Perot was somewhat—he uh, he was affected Perot affected. because he caused an election. Right, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Actually, and that's, I mean, that's an important thing to say. Or Ralph Nader, is, as you
0: would uh, know very well, Senator. Right? Or Ralph Nader.
1: Uh, oh, I, I have a, a few scars at different parts of my body, <laughs> <from> <laughs> Ralph Nader, yeah. yeah. Really, from 2000. But So uh, Lincoln was the last to win an election, but there have been cases where a successful third-party candidate didn't win, but he really, one, affected the debate. Uh, two affected the outcome. Perot is the last great example. I mean, he put the balanced budget at the top of the agenda because he hit it so hard. Clinton embraced it. And then in the kind of uh, bipartisanship uh, we don't see enough of, Clinton uh, worked with Newt Gingrich. These two guys couldn't be more different. And they adopted the Balanced Budget Act of 1997, um, which uh, actually balanced the budget. The last three years of Clinton's presidency were in surplus the last time we've we've seen that. But let me go back to no labels. This is what we're calling an insurance policy project. Uh, We raised a fair amount of money to qualify a third-party national unity bipartisan ticket. We don't have a candidate. This is just an option right now. Uh, And um, uh, we're making progress on that, and that's the whole idea, that maybe the very fact we're doing this will influence both parties to choose The kind of candidates will give us leadership and work across party lines to get things done. If not, uh, we'll uh, we'll implement the insurance policy and um, put together a bipartisan unity ticket. But uh, it's a big decision because you don't want to send uh, the election to to somebody you don't want to send the election to. You want to do it. Uh, because you think you have a chance to win, and I guess the other theme of the campaign, like uh, parole campaigns on the balanced budget, will be: um, you listen, uh, both parties, you got to work together for the country. We got big problems: immigration reform, crime, all the rest, uh, border security, and uh, uh, it's not going to happen unless you guys work together. So we're, we're in there. Whether we use it, we don't know. But uh, it's an. Ex- this is something demanded, honestly, by our membership around the country, and so we're getting ready just in case.
0: That's a uh, great job, Senator Joe Lieberman. It's always an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to have you on the program. You were terrific as always this morning.
1: Thank you, Sid. God You're bless the you. Best. Hey, and happy birthday! Oh, you got thank a lot you, Senator. To look forward to, my friend. <laughs> thank
0: you very thank much, here. Senator. That's an honor. That's yeah, an honor. Uh, here absolutely, right one, one of the old-time greats, <laughs> Senator Joe Lieberman.